Well, good morning, Stone Creek. How good is that? Naked pillow fights and other stuff that couples do. Is this not the greatest series that we've ever come up with? I think it's the greatest series like in the history of the world. Like I think that naked pillow fights and other stuff that couples do is the greatest series since like the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Like this is money. I'm so excited about today. Um, I woke up this morning and I seriously, like I'm so into this and just wanted to embrace the whole vibe that I contemplated preaching in my pajamas, okay? That's how like into this I am. And then my wife, um, being the lovely woman that she is, reminded me that I don't own pajamas and we're not that progressive as a church. So I opted for pants, you're welcome. Um, but today I'm excited. Um, we're, I wanna talk to you about the single most significant ingredient in any relationship, okay? It doesn't matter if you're single and looking to mingle. It doesn't matter if you're dating and considering mating. It doesn't matter if you're married and about to be buried, okay? This that we're gonna talk about today is the single most important ingredient in any relationship. It doesn't matter. And it's this, it's communication, okay? Let's say that together. Say communication. communication. It's a much more female response than guys, right? All the ladies are like, oh, communication. I'm glad we came to church today. All the guys don't really say anything at all, which is kind of the problem with communication, right? Um, and so that's why we're gonna talk about communication today. Um, I was talking to a guy recently who'd been married for 60 years. 60 years, that's six decades, okay? And um, so I had to ask him, I was like, man, what is the one piece of marriage advice that you could give me? Like, what's the most important thing that I've gotta know? And he says, communication. And I say, really, it's communication? He says, yeah, just do what she tells you to do before she says a word, okay? So mind reading, perfect, I got it, <laughs> done. Um, there was a study done by 400 psychologists and they, um, they were asked what is the most important um, or what is the number one cause for marriages ending in failure? And the majority of them said without a doubt is communication. Communication is so important in relationships to be able to talk, to be able to listen, to speak and be spoken to, to understand and have connection is so important. Communication is the foundation for every relationship. The writer of um, Proverbs says it like this. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So the writer of Proverbs, he says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue, communication is so important because death and life are rest in it. And then I love that he, just after he makes this unbelievable statement about communication and the power of communication, throws in this random statement on marriage. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's like he's trying to throw us a line, fellas. He's trying to help us out. He's trying to go, don't miss how important communication is, okay? The power of death and life are in the tongue. Let me help you out. Translation, okay? Death, sleeping on the couch. Life, naked pillow fights are in the power of communication, okay? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Very early on in my relationship with Kayla, I had to learn the inseparable connection between communication and the amount of naked pillow fights we had, okay? Like very early on, I had to learn that the way that we communicated affected everything, okay? So my wife and I, 
Um, we're high school sweethearts. We met when we were 16 and 17 years old. It's an awesome story. Nicholas Sparks should write a book about it, okay? But it's another story for another time. Um, but so we met when we were 16, 17, and we started dating. We got married when we were 21 and 22 because we're Christians, and hello. Um, so, so we got married, and, um, and it was awesome. And I, I thought that when we got married that communication wasn't gonna be an issue. Like, never did I think that communication was gonna be an issue, okay? Um, so like right before we got married, we're doing the long distance thing. I was living in Pennsylvania. She was living in Georgia. And so literally our relationship was completely based on communication. All the time we're talking on the phone, right? Every night spending hours and hours upon the phone talking to each other. We're, we're that couple who was like, you, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Like that's how in love we were. And then neither of us would hang up. So we just like sit there and listen to each other, breathe on the phone. And, and I'm like a mouth breather. So she's on the other line listening to Darth Vader just. <gasps> I will be your baby's father. Right? Just that's what she's having to deal with. That's how like, in love we are. And so never in a million years did I think communication was going to be our problem. Like at this point in our relationship, I'm like, I'm getting asked to go and speak at camps and conferences. People are flying me to different places around the country to speak. I'm teaching communication workshops. I get paid to communicate. I thought communication was gonna be easy and breezy, right? I thought I knew how to communicate with a woman. Hot, and then I got married, right? And um, I will never forget this one night individual, or in particular. So um, the first week of marriage, things are going great, right? We get married, go on our honeymoon, move Kayla up to Pennsylvania, and things are going great, right? Every night, I'm kind of coming home from work early, bringing her flowers, showing up with her favorite food for dinner, got a Marvin Gaye playlist ready to drop, right? Just the whole nine yards, and things are, things are going great, right? They're going according to plan, until we get to about the third week of marriage, okay? And um, the third week of marriage is something snaps in me. It just breaks, all right? So I, uh, before the, the year and a half prior to marriage, I'd been playing basketball every Monday night for about five, for about four hours, okay? Um, I was still contemplating like a comeback, pursuing my shot at the NBA, right? Single guy, so I was just doing my thing. Um, so third week of marriage, like a robot, I leave the office at five o'clock on a Monday and I head straight to the gym, okay? Straight to the gym. I get there, take my phone, throw it in the locker, That'll be an important part of the story later on, okay? And I head into the gym and I start to play basketball, never telling my wife where I was, right? And so I'm in the basketball doing my thing. I'm on fire this night, right? I'm just working people silly, all right? And so um, as opposed to playing for four hours, I play basketball for five hours this night. And um, so I'm, I'm walking off the basketball courts at about 10 p.m., right? Feeling like Steph Curry, feeling like I just hung the moon, drained some threes, feeling good about myself, right? When it dawns on me, not that I forgot to tell my wife where I was, it dawns on me that I have a wife. <laughs> That's where my mind was at. And so you would think that that would inform my mind to go, oh, this is gonna be bad. I didn't tell her, but that's not what I thought. I went, oh, I've got a wife. It's about to be a great night. I'm go I just dominated in basketball, played basketball for five hours. I'm going home. I bet she's got a hot meal on the table for me. And then she and I are about to have some overtime, right? That's what I'm thinking is gonna happen. And then I walk in the door and very quickly realize this night ain't gonna go the way I thought it was. And I walk in the door and she is sitting on the couch and she goes, where have you been? 
and I'm still wearing my, you know, basketball attire from the gym, and so I'm like, where does it look like I've been? Um, she goes, you've been at the gym for five hours? I said, calm down. Um, what? <laughs> Fellows, what is wrong with us? Like when in our lives have we been in a conversation with our, or in our lives have we been in a conversation with a woman and we've gone calm down and she's gone, you know what? You're right, I should calm down. Let me just take a chill bill, collect my thoughts, think a lot. Never has that worked, right? So I go calm down and she goes, what? She says, I called you 27 times. 27 times, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I play basketball on Mondays and on Tuesdays and on Thursdays. This is just like what I do. This is how I roll, and she was like, so you're telling me you're gonna play basketball every night of the week? And like, I'm early on in communication and marriage, and so like, I think that that's like a real question, and I'm like, is that an option? Like, is that allowed? And um, I was, she was like, that's just not gonna work, okay? That's not gonna work. You can't play basketball every night of the week. Like, I've gotta know where you are in our marriage, okay? And guys, this is where it gets really bad. This is where it just takes a turn for the worse. I go, all right, cool, this is what I'll do. I'll tell my assistant to email you my schedule so you can know when to expect me home. And um, we didn't have a kid for five years into our marriage, okay? So you do the math. You do the math, right? Um, here's the truth is that there's so much power in communication. Our, I'll say it like this. Our words create the worlds that we live in. Our words create the worlds that we live in. The things that we say are going to create the experiences that we have. No matter what relationship that you're in, whether it's a friend or a dating relationship, whether you're engaged, you've got a fiance, you've got a husband, a wife, doesn't matter. The worlds that you create are the words that you speak are going to create the world that we live in. Our words create the worlds that we live in. God, when he creates the world, he creates it with words. He speaks and creation happens. He speaks and stars get hung in the sky. Mountains form from nothing. Oceans appear out of thin air. He speaks everything that you can see and that you can't see into existence. The psalmist would say it like this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Everything that is in all of creation, the world that we live in was created by the word of God. He spoke it to be an if he were to say the word, it would all come to a screeching halt. There is power of life and death in the tongue. Our words create the world that we live in. And much like God, we are created in his image. We are created to be these little tangible expressions of his character and his quality. And, we, and our words might not create worlds physically, but our words create worlds relationally. The things that you say are going to create the kind of relationship that you have and the kind of experience that you have within that relationship just by the things that you say creates worlds. Think about the worlds that your words have created. I do created a marriage. I cheated created chaos. I love you created intimacy. 
that dress makes you look fat created couples counseling, right? Like the (laughs) words that we say create the worlds that we live in, the things that we say to our spouse, the way that we communicate, the things that are spoken and unspoken are going to inform the way that we live. There is so much power in words. There was, there's a popular um, marriage guru, psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, all of it, named Dr. John Gottman. And he's this marriage guru. Within 15 minutes of being with a couple, he can predict with a 94% success rate whether or not that marriage will end in divorce. Think about that. Within 15 minutes of being with a couple, he can predict with a 94% success rate whether or not that marriage will end in divorce. And here's what he says. He says that the determining factor of whether or not a marriage will end in divorce, it's, it's, it's not where they're from. It's not their background. It's not whether they're you know, from uh, poverty or whether or not they're from money. It's not whether they're you know, introverts or extroverts. It's not whether they're um, you know. Uh, compatible, whether they're like opposites that are attracting or whether like they're the same people and have similar interests. It's not if they're young or if they're old. It's not if they're black or if they're white. It's not if they're, you know, um, outgoing or, or more shy. It's not if they're educated or from the University of Alabama. It's not, it's none of those things. It's all on how they communicate with each other. It's the way that they speak to each other. He says, I can just watch. I can watch the words that are said and the way that those words are received. I can watch body language and touch. I can watch, um, is there contempt? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? Is there nagging? Is there constant correction? Is there a lack of encouragement? Are they critical? Like, I can watch this and just by the way that they communicate, I can tell you whether or not their marriage is gonna end in divorce or not. There's so much power in words. Our words create the worlds that we live in relationally. We've got to learn how to communicate, how to speak and be spoken to. There's so much power in communication. Um, So there's a a book written by a guy named Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. Any of you guys familiar with The Five Love Languages? Okay, it's it's a great book, really support it. And in the book, um, it says that there's five love languages. And these are the ways that you're wired to communicate, to speak and to be spoken to. And um, you, you typically have two. And this is the way that you give and that you receive love. And so there's acts of service and there's quality time and there's words of affirmation and there's gifts and there's physical touch, right? And so there are these, ways that we communicate and you can observe it and it's gonna tell you so much about the world that you live in. And so uh, my wife, she's quality time and words of affirmation. She needs me to spend time with her and text her when I'm going to the gym, okay? That's really important to her. I'm physical touch and words of affirmation and touch me again, okay? That's my, that's my love language. That's the way that I'm wired, right? And You can watch the way that a couple communicates to each other, the way that they give love and receive love and show love, and it'll tell you everything about the world that they're gonna live in, just with their words, with their words. Um, You know that it's not just the words that you speak that create the world that you live in, but it's also the words that you don't speak that create the world that you live in too. Fellas, you not speaking, you not sharing emotion, you not talking about your dreams, you not talking about your hurts and your pains and what's going on on the inside and your soul, you sitting there with a blank stare in a conversation, no connection, no sharing, no intimacy, that's gonna create a world too. 
It's gonna create a world where your spouse, your wife feels like she's living in a desert and she's starving of thirst, where she's out there all alone just wandering around. If you're in a relationship and you're not speaking to each other, there's no words, there's no communication, there's no connection. What that, what that world is gonna feel like is it's gonna feel like a desert and weird things happen in deserts. Mirages start to form in deserts. All of a sudden, you start to see the mirage of an extramarital affair, and it seems like it's gonna satisfy. You start to see the mirage of emotional connection via Facebook, and you think it's worth taking a chance on. This is, this is what pornography is all about, essentially. There's no communication, no connection, no intimacy, and so you get into this desert of feeling isolated, and mirages start to form, and you'll settle for the mirage of pseudo-connectivity over true intimacy because our words or lack of words create the worlds that we live in. Whatever, wherever you're at relationally with your spouse, with your significant other, you're there because of the words that you've spoken or the words that you've not spoken. Our words create the worlds that we live in. They have so much power. They have the power to encourage and inspire, to build up and bring life or to bring death and to tear down. You, you can think about the way that people have said things to you throughout your life and the way that they've hung on, they've clinged to your soul. They've become these things that remind you and inform you and push you to how you're going to live. Our words create the worlds that we live in. There is so much importance in the words that we say. So now that we're on the same page, that words are important, that you know, words are really significant, this would be the natural point in the message where what I would tell you to do is I would tell you, okay, now that we know that words are important, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you 10 tips to better communication with your spouse, right? I would teach a communication workshop here. Any speaker knows that this is the natural part of the sermon to do that. But you've already heard that sermon before, right? Like it's not gonna be news to you how to communicate with your spouse. If I was like, like nobody would be blown away if I was like, okay, so he, here's what you need. You need, to, you need to speak kindly, speak directly, speak honestly. Before you respond with anger, just count to 10 on the inside, okay? When you're starting to feel frustrated, give them a tender touch on the shoulder, okay? When, when they're talking, listen actively, repeat back what you hear them saying, okay, do this. Be, you wouldn't be like, oh, wow, all of my community, uh, it, it's great, it's perfect, I've got it now, right? It's not that we don't know how to communicate. We know all of those tricks of communication, right? However, in the heat of the moment when things get frustrated, we forget everything we know. Word vomit happens and what comes out is just what we feel, right? And, and I think it's so interesting that oftentimes the things that we say in the heat of the moment, people would go, that's not what I meant to say. I was just angry. I was just frustrated. But I would contend that the things that we say when we're most aggravated, most annoyed, most emotional actually probably reveal the truest state of how we feel. And here's why. Because words aren't communication problems. Words are heart problems. Word problems are heart problems. Word problems are heart problems. Jesus would say it like this. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so this is what Jesus is saying is the reason that the words that are coming out of your mouth are coming out of your mouth is because of what is going on inside of your heart. 
Much the way that a doctor, if you were to go to the doctor's office, would look inside and say, open your mouth, ah, so he could see inside to determine what was going on that was wrong with you. You can look inside of your heart to determine why the things are coming out of you they are coming out of you. You wanna know why you say the things that you say? Well, it's, it's not a communication problem. It's a cardiovascular problem. It's a heart issue. It's that there's something going on on the inside of you that's welling up, that's boiling, that's coming to the surface because words are so connected to our heart. The things that are in our heart are going to inform the things that we say. This isn't, this is an inescapable truth that our words are connected to our heart. And so if you've, if you've got a heart that's been criticized, I bet you use critical words. If you've got a heart that's been broken, maybe by a spouse, broke your heart. Maybe it was an affair. Maybe it was he got your family into debt up to your eyeballs, but he broke your heart in some way. I, I bet you use your words to break him down often. If you've got a heart that is, that is full of unforgiveness, just full of unforgiveness, I bet that you, you, you've got words that are bitter and that are cutting and that are sharp and that are harsh. What, whatever has happened to our heart, whatever we have received in our heart, whatever we have taken into our heart, what's going on in there is what's gonna come out of our mouth. And so as opposed to trying to spend the rest of our time together doing a communication workshop, I think that what we should do is heart surgery. We should look at the things that are going on in our heart that are informing the way that we communicate with people. Because you can, you can work to try to fix your communication technique, but all that's gonna do is gonna make you better at tearing somebody down. What you need to do is you need to get after the heart. You need to figure out what's going on on the inside that's producing the things that you say. And so I wanna talk about three fights, three heart surgeries real quick that we need to do to be able to use our words in a way that bring life and not bring death. And the first one is this, is we've gotta slay selfishness. We've gotta slay selfishness. And you see so much of what's going on in our heart is the result of sin. And sin, sin is so tricky. Sin makes us believe that we are the most important thing in the universe, that, that our focus should be on us, what we want and what we need and me, my, I, mono, e mono, right? It's all about me is what sin does. And when we're focused on me, when, when sin does that, we love ourselves more than we love an uh, anybody else. We care for ourselves more than we care for anybody else. And what it does is it creates just utter chaos in all of our relationships. You see, it's so counterintuitive that the best thing that you need for connection with, for the kind of connection that you're desiring with an individual is not to focus on your desires, but to actually get over yourself. The best thing that you can do relationally is to stop focusing on you. It says it like this, check it out. For the love of Christ, I, I love this, controls us. How, how, how amazing would that be? to feel like you are in a fight or in a disagreement or in a conversation with your spouse and for you to feel the love of Jesus controlling you. Not anger or hostility or resentment or baggage or wounds or pain from the past, but the love of Jesus just controlling you. It's causing you to say the things that you say. How cool would that be if the love of Christ would control you and how you communicated? That's how it's supposed to be for followers of Jesus. Why? Because we have concluded, we have determined this, that one, Jesus has died for all. Therefore, 
all have died. So we've concluded this, that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, the creator of heaven and earth, to die in our place, that he died on Calvary, that he was that he was beaten, that he was nailed to a cross, that he bled and suffocated in our place for our sin. One man, Jesus Christ, has died for all men on planet earth. Therefore, all died, all died, meaning because Jesus has died, we have died. Old us, gone, me, forgotten. I'm now a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's no longer about me, but, but this is beautiful that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You were created. The, the beauty of the gospel is that now you don't have to live for you anymore, but that you're actually set free to live for him. And when you live for him, communication begins to take off like never before. When you slay selfishness, when you stop making it all about you, you're able to actually communicate for the first time in your life. You see, we would love to believe that our greatest problems in communication are not inside of us, but outside of us. That's what many of us would like to believe, right? Like the reason that that conversation went wrong, it was just the wrong time. It was the wrong setting. She brought it up in the wrong place. The, the reason that that went wrong, oh, you used the wrong tone of voice. Like we, we would love to think, ah, oh, man, she, she, he just doesn't speak my language. She just doesn't get me. They don't understand me. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's their baggage. We would always love to think that the problem with communication is outside of us, but the truth is that our problem with communication is deeply inside of us. It's a heart problem. It's a me problem. It's a selfishness problem, a self-absorbed problem. And when you can slay that selfishness, you're gonna be able to experience freedom in communication like never before. You see, very early on in our marriage, I thought the problem with our communication was my wife. I thought it was Kayla, right? I'm a communicator. Like, we're, we're so funny. We're so opposite in the way that most couples are, where, like, Kayla, she's, like, more shy and quiet and introverted, and I can, like, talk to a wall, right? I can just carry on a conversation with myself all the time. And then in the same way, I'm like, here are all my feelings. What do you think? Here are all my thoughts and my emotions and let's write a poem. And she's like, let's take a nap, okay? That's the way that we're wired. And so very early on, I thought that our problem in communication was her. Like, you just can't express yourself. You just can't form the words to have the conversations that we need. And so what I would do is that that selfishness, that arrogance would well up within me and I would use my ability to communicate to just slice her and dice her and cut her down and make my logical argument so precise and perfect that then she would just sit there be saying nothing and I would wonder why we were struggling with communication. Because I was so focused on, on what I wanted but I thought she was the problem. You see, communication Word problems are heart problems. And the way to address that heart problem is to first to slay selfishness. You've gotta do it. Life is best lived not when you make it all about you, but when you make it all about Jesus, him who came to die for you and all about other people. And then here's the second thing. You've gotta fight for forgiveness. If you wanna have a naked pillow fight, you gotta fight for forgiveness. You've got to. And you see, we are sold this lie by media and the Disney channel that it's just gonna be this love story and fairy tale, that marriage is gonna be easy and breezy, that it's gonna be like you find a mermaid, put one glass slipper on her, throw her on a magic carpet and ride off into the sunset, right? That's what we think it's gonna be. 
But then you get married, you realize it's nothing like that, that there are difficulties, there are highs and there are lows and there are fights and there are arguments and there are disagreements. And along the way, these little chinks start to get in the armor. These little statements that are made, these side comments that are dropped, these jokes that continue, they just start to hang on to you. These things happen that you don't forget and that constantly get brought up and you live in this constant state of unforgiveness. And so every time that you have a conversation, every time you're trying to communicate, this thing comes out that has nothing to do with what you're talking about. It's not about, oh, I don't know where to go to dinner and all of a sudden we're fighting about whether or not we wanna go to Applebee's or Arby's. Please choose Applebee's, right? The, the, the problem is about something that she said six months ago or he said six months ago. That's, that's the problem. You see, we, we allow forgiveness to put us in this prison where the only person who's a hostage is you. When you allow unforgiveness to reign in your heart, the only person who's a prisoner is you. It's dominating you and affecting you and keeping you from the communication that you were really created for. But the reality is, is that you're never going to be able to, to actually fight for forgiveness until you first surrender to salvation. Until you first surrender to salvation. You just can't do it. Okay, until, like, let me just be so real with you this morning, church. Until you get the dominating, heart-changing, expressive, unreal love of Jesus in such a way that it gets in your heart and creates something new, you're never gonna be able to, to be able to fight for forgiveness or to slay selfishness. Until you receive the love of Jesus, you're never gonna be able to give the love of Jesus. You see, it's not that our problem with our heart is that our heart just needs to be cleaned or that our heart needs to be made better or that our heart just needs to be fixed, that our heart is broken and it somehow needs to be repaired. The problem is that we need a new heart we need somehow something deeply spiritual to happen where on the inside something changes, where we go from where we are to someplace new. And, and this is the promise of the Bible. In Ezekiel 36, this is what God says. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He goes, hey, that heart of stone that is causing you to be so you focused, that is causing you to die on all these hills, that is causing you to go, that's just not how I'm wired and that just doesn't work for me and that's not how I speak and that's not gonna work. That heart of stone, the gospel will remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh where you can feel emotion and feel love and feel cared for. Okay, until this happens, until you get that heart that Jesus puts in you and then you start to receive and hear the things that he says to you, you're always gonna speak words of death. Until the loudest voice in your ears the, the thing that you're receiving in your heart is the words of life that Jesus has spoken to you. You're always gonna speak words of death to others. Always, always, until his blood is flowing through your veins, you're always going to speak out words of death. Always. Till the life-giving blood of the gospel of Jesus gets up in your heart, you are going to speak words of death. It's got to be there. And so some of you, like you desperately need a new heart this morning. Like you need to surrender to Jesus, give your life to Jesus, understand the love of Jesus in a way that changes the way that you begin to communicate with others. You see so much of our, the problem with how we communicate with other people is attached to a misunderstanding of what we think God says to us. Think about it for a second. 
Oftentimes people who are angry and who are bitter and who are resentful and who are unforgiving think that that's how God talks to them. You've blown it, you've messed up, you're a sinner, you're undeserving, you're unworthy. We think that he's constantly bringing up things from our past, constantly reminding us of our shortcomings and failures. We think that he's angry with us and that he's crossed his arms at us and he wants nothing to do with us. But that's not what he says. That's not what he says to you. If you would read his word, you would know that he calls you a son and a daughter. He calls you the crown of his creation. He says, I chose you, I bled for you, I created you, I so love you. I know the hairs on your head, I call you by name, I call you saint, I call you new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He speaks life over you, he rejoices over you with singing and dancing is what Zephaniah would say. And until that radical love of Jesus starts to permeate your heart, until you start to rest in how much he loves you and you start to receive that salvation, it's never gonna change the way you speak. Never gonna change the way you speak. You're always gonna find yourself just constantly speaking these words of death until the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the blood of Jesus permeates your heart to change how you speak. I can tell you that there's always a direct connection between the amount of intimacy that I experience with my wife and the amount of intimacy I'm experiencing with God. So connected. If I'm not close to God, I can tell you I'm not close to her. If I'm not praying, we're not talking. If I'm not in his word, hearing his love for me, I'm not speaking love to her. There's this, this crazy connection, but when I allow his words and his heart to be in my heart, it changes the things that I say. And so some of us, we don't need to focus on trying to speak better. We need to focus on trying to hear better, trying to hear the words that God has said to us to rewrite all the lies that we've believed in our heart. You know that so much of the way that your kids are going to understand who God is is by the way that you talk to each other. It's gonna be so connected. Later on in life as they discover that God calls us his bride and that he is the groom and that we are somehow in this relationship and he thinks back on the way that you communicated with mom, the way you communicated with dad, he's gonna go, so is that how God talks to me? Is that how God thinks of me? Is that how God loves me? Is that how God interacts with me, communicates with me? And no, he doesn't. He communicates with love and with patience and with kindness and with forgiveness and with gentleness and with compassion. And he's slow to anger and he's abounding in love and he's rejoicing over you with singing. And when you get that in your heart, it's gonna change the way that you speak and it's gonna bring about life in your relationship. If we want to experience the kinds of relationships we are created for, we've got to begin to slay selfishness, to fight for forgiveness and to surrender to the salvation that we were created for. Let's pray together. God, I love you. And I'm so grateful for this gift of words. I'm grateful that you speak to us, that you hear us, that you allow us to speak to you. God, I'm so grateful that the words that you speak over us are words of kindness and words of identity, words of joy and words of love. And God, I pray that there would be some heart surgery that happens today. That as couples get home, that they wouldn't be talking about the way that they talk to each other, but that they would talk about what's going on in their hearts, about the pains, about the insecurities and the frustrations and the dreams and the desires, and that that heart talk would lead to connection like never before. 
God, I know that just shifting techniques, just modifying behavior isn't gonna change relationships. But God, if you could change our hearts, there's no telling what could happen. And so Jesus, I just pray for, for every relationship that's currently happening and every relationship that's getting ready to happen. I just pray that, that, that they would hear your words first and that they would speak them. And I ask for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So there's always a next step. Um, maybe for you today, you just want somebody to pray with you. If that's the case, we would love to do that. If you'll just stay seated, a trained member from our care team would love to come and pray with you, answer any questions that you may have. Um, maybe you want to surrender your heart to Jesus today. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. Um, maybe you're new here. And if you're new, we would love to meet you and connect with you out in the classroom, which is the glass room. A member from our team would love to get to know you and introduce you to our church. And then finally, um, we are doing this um, text challenge throughout this series. Whether you're a man, a woman, or single, you can text SC men, SC woman, or SC single to 33222 to receive a 28-day text challenge. And we really believe in this. We really want y'all to do it. So pull out your phones if you haven't. To convince you to sign up for the text challenge, I just want to read for you real quick my 10 tips for guaranteed naked pillow fights, okay? I, I created these to try to inspire you to sign up for the text challenge. So I'm going to drop these on you, and then we'll be done for the day, okay? 10 tips for guaranteed naked pillow fights. Number one, don't be critical. Do cocaine instead. <laughs> Encouragement is the cocaine of communication. Do it often. Number two, fight fair. When fighting, remember, you're not at war, you're in love. You should be fighting for the same thing or one or both of your priorities are wrong. Don't use infinite statements like you always or you never. Those aren't true. Number three, be a spouse second. You're a son of, or daughter of God first, but you're a spouse um, before everything else. Remember, anybody can take your job at work. No one else gets to take your job as husband or wife to your spouse. God can hire another discipleship pastor at Stone Creek Church. He don't need me. No one else gets to be Kayla's Barracuda. <laughs> don't let your kids come between you and your spouse. Helicopter moms... Take that helicopter somewhere else. Your husband would gladly go for a ride. Number four, for the single dudes, get a job. Girls think jobs are sexy. Number five, find common ground. Always fight to find one more thing in common, no matter how small. Every commonality creates connection. Number six, one minute of uninterrupted eye contact daily does the heart well. Touch foreheads for 45 seconds and look deeply into each other's eyes. If you don't wanna make a baby after that, you're a sociopath. <laughs> Number seven, date your wife. Consistently take that woman out. Surprise her, plan it, make it fancy, make it adventurous. Couples who continually go on dates together, stay together, bottom line. Number eight, the D word is the dirtiest word, divorce. What did you think I was gonna say? Never say divorce. Number nine, drink red wine and watch P.S. I Love You twice. Number 10, steal her pillow and put it between your legs. Y'all have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.